Hey folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on Fat Burning Man, where we talk about real food and real results. On today's show, you're going to learn how to overcome something that lurks deep down in all of us, fear. I'm honored to be joined by my friend and resident brainiac, Dr. Srini Pillay. Srini is the award-winning author of Life Unlocked, Seven Revolutionary Lessons to Overcome Fear. This show gets deep, but if you want any hope of taming your squirrel brain, this one is definitely for you. By the way, if you're interested in brain science, neuroscience, or music, you might want to check out my first best-selling book called The Musical Brain. I'll warn you in advance, it's quite technical as it's based on some of the brain and neuroscience research I did while studying at Dartmouth. But if you want to know why music exists, where it came from, or what music does to our brains, check it out. Just look for Abel James and the Musical Brain on Amazon.com. Now, here's a bit of inspiration I'd like to share with you from a member of our online community, the Fat Burning Tribe. This message is from Matthew in Arizona. He says, Great news. Since my first body composition was done six weeks ago, I've lost 13 pounds of fat and gained one and a half pounds of muscle. Thanks, Abel James, for making the wild diet so easy to follow and for making the recipe so delicious that I'd rather cook than eat out. Matthew, congratulations. Cooking at home instead of eating out is a huge step in upgrading your health and certainly your body composition for many years to come. In fact, cooking at home... Learning how to prepare your own food for for yourself as well as your family is probably the number one thing you can do for your health long term. So props to you for that. Now, if you want to know step by step what to eat for the next seven days to drop fat, get fit, and feel great, listen up. All you have to do is visit fatburningman.com and enter your best email address and I'll send you a quick start guide to the wild diet with a seven-day meal plan to get you fit as a fiddle right away. Just visit fatburningman.com and you can get our quick start guide to the wild diet right now for free. All right, on to the show with Dr. Srini. You're about to learn how to reframe negative thought patterns, how to overcome anxiety and achieve your goals, why we fear success, why we don't always do what we know we want to do, and much more. All right, let's go hang out with the doc. All right, folks, I'm excited to be here today with Dr. Srini Pillay, who's a certified master executive coach brain imaging researcher and assistant clinical professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He has 17 years of experience in neuroscience research and is regarded as a pioneer in the field of neurocoaching. Dr. Pillay, thanks so much for stopping by. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. You know, I've been meaning to have you on the show for a while because we've we've rubbed shoulders quite a few times and uh, I was just rereading your book, Life Unlocked, and I'd forgotten about how wonderful of a writer you are. Thank you. you know, in I've read a lot of brain sciencey type books because that's one of the things I just totally geek out on. And uh, this one is very artful. <laughs> it really is. And you explain things that seem counterintuitive in a way that totally makes sense. So why don't we start with one of them, which is all around fear of success? Because I know a lot of people who are listening to this show, they're kind of overachievers in their own way. And a lot of times they'll they'll kind of set goals, but you're afraid of them at the same time. You might not even realize it because one of the things you talk about is unconscious fear. So can you just rap about that a little bit? Sure. So, yeah, you know, I think uh, my so sometimes people think I'm being a little too optimistic about this, but I, I feel like having been a doctor for 25 years, I feel like maybe you should consider what I'm about to say, which is that I think that <laughs> in every human being, there is some special capacity that is waiting to be activated. 
Mm-hmm. And I think the extent to which it is activated depends to a large extent, uh, not just on your willingness to be the greatness that you are, but also your willingness to take a risk and have the courage to reach for what you want. Mm. So one of the things we know is that when you make a decision about moving forward, say you want to make more money or say you want to have a much better life. And and let's say you want to actually uh, sort of change jobs or ask for a different kind of position. What a lot of people do is they think about it and then procrastinate about it. And the fear gets in the way of actually making that decision. And that's because fear activates the amygdala, which is the anxiety processing center in the brain. And because the anxiety center is connected to the thinking brain, it disrupts the way you make judgments about what you want to do. So what we know is that this fear can impact the amygdala or the anxiety center, Mm -hmm. even when you're not aware of it. So a lot of people will say, hey, I'm not afraid of anything. Like, I want it all. Like, I want to have the success they want. Yet, at the back of their minds are these questions like, does this mean I'm going to be, I'm going to have to work more? Does this mean that people are going to want more from me? Does it mean that I might actually have to fail? Does it mean that people are going to make fun of me when I do fail? These are all unconscious questions that start affecting your level of fear and anxiety. And it also affects the information that's going to your brain's GPS. Now, to get to your goal, it's a bit like driving to your goal. Your Mm -hmm. brain drives you to your goal, and it uses the GPS that's in a part of the brain called the posterior parietal cortex. Uh, And again, I just want to say as a caveat, a lot of what I'm saying is oversimplified, but it's generally true true and and borne out by the research. So when this part of your brain actually activates, what happens is it collects information. So if you're giving your brain messages like success is possible, like, it doesn't matter if I have the fear, I'm going to do it anyway. Mm-hmm. Or I don't mind if people see me fail. I'm, I mind more if I don't reach for my goals. When you say that your GPS collects the information and your brain starts working on a plan to get you to your goal, both consciously or unconsciously. If, however, you find that you are giving these double messages to your brain. So, you know, imagine if you're, I always say to people, you know, first of all, I'm crazy about the brain. I love it. Mm -hmm. And so I I like to personify what it does. So I say, well, imagine you have a brain in your skull and your brain so picks up the phone and is listening to you. And you're saying, hey, I want to reach like the top of my game. Your brain is like, okay, cool. I'm going to try to figure this out. I'm going to contact everything in the unconscious, get a plan together and help you get successful. If, however your brain then starts starts having the switchboard ringing off the hook where it's like getting other messages like, but what if you fail? But what if people lie to you? Mm-hmm. Eventually your brain's like, hey, hold on. This may not be a good plan. I don't want to go forward. And if it's unconscious, you're not going to know that you're sending these messages to your brain. Mm-hmm. So the first overarching fact is that when you have fear, fear of success, whether it's conscious or unconscious, a lot of times these double messages confuse the brain. And so the thing that we need to do is really try to connect with what might be in the way of reaching our greatest success. So there's a concept called self-handicapping, for example, which is when people lower the bar so that they don't have to get what they want and they don't have to fail in the process. Mm -hmm. So they would rather not fail than get what they want. And I think anybody who's successful would say to you that you often, that successful people fail much more often Mm -hmm. than unsuccessful people because they take more chances. Mm -hmm. So what I would want to say to people listening to this is ask yourself first, what's your real goal? You know, what's your stretch goal? What's your highest goal? Whether it's what you want to eat, whether it's getting more money, you know, is there something that you want to do to change your life? Write down your stretch goal and then try to look at 
what might be one or two things that come up for you? Like, what if I fail or what if people laugh at me? And consciously feed back to yourself, that's going to suck. I'm not going to like it, mm -hmm. but I don't care because what I really want is I want to make sure that I am determined and I stay true to my goal so that I can reach there. Yeah. Uh, and what that does is it actually, I mean, and there are different ways in which you can interact with your brain's anxiety center to calm it down. You know, you can reframe goals, for example. You can basically, and extensive studies now show that if you provide the proper reframe to yourself, your brain's anxiety center can actually turn down. So rather than saying, you know, I'm freaked out that people are going to laugh at me, you say, winners fail more than losers. Mm -hmm. And I want to be a winner, so I expect to fail. Mm -hmm. And immediately, that's a different reframe for your brain. Your amygdala doesn't freak out. And, you know, people will sometimes say to me, Really? Does this stuff work? Like, do we have actual scientific data to show that how you talk to yourself matters? I would say yes. It's not just what you're thinking as a reframe, but studies are now showing that self-talk can change brain blood flow. Mm -hmm. It can take the excessive brain blood flow in the anxiety center and send it back to the thinking brain. So, so for wow. example, you can, uh, you know, studies now look at things like when you self-talk and you say, I'm going to crush this. You know, like when sports players do that, sure. tennis players going back to the baseline, and they're saying, I'm going to crush it. Studies now show that it's much more effective if you speak to yourself in the second person out loud, if you say, you're going to crush it. And mm. if you say, you're going to crush it, you're much more likely to de-stress and boost your confidence. So, you know, don't be shy about speaking to yourself. You can actually speak to yourself. You can change brain blood flow in the process. And one potent technique to do this when it comes to reducing fear of success is reframing some of the fears that are holding you back. Yeah. Now, does it have to be allowed or you can do this, you know, during meditation in your own head? How does that work? You can do it either way. So you can either, if you do it out loud, you will get an effect in your brain. Mm -hmm. And so I recommend to people actually practicing it out loud, partly because you want to override and create new pathways. So the more that you can repeat this, the better, because your, your habit pathways generally become like a habit hell. Yeah. And so they keep on activating and they become sort of the, the go-to circuits in your brain. And you want to change the go-to circuits in your brain. And mm -hmm. so the more you can repeat this out loud, or you know, if it's not possible, then just in your thoughts, uh, the more likely you are to create these new pathways that you can turn to. Right. And there's a wonderful moment in your book where you talk about some advice that your father gave you when you were sprinting. And uh, you made it, uh, even though you were fast and you were doing very well, you kept finishing second. So what happened? Because I think that's a great metaphor for what a lot of people do. Yeah, you know, one of the things he said to me was, was every time I watch you running, you know, you, you run, you're, you're ahead. And then just before you hit the finish line, you turn around to see what's going on with other people. And I realized when he said that, that what that did was it took me out of my element mm -hmm. and out of my maximum speed. And it was a great metaphor for me in life overall, because I realized that a lot of times to get the real orientation you want in the world, you can actually do this simply by paying attention to your full power and strength and moving forward like that and putting all your energy in the present rather than looking over your shoulder to see what else is happening. You know, a classic thing that I would ask people to do is if you, if you go to YouTube and you look up Roger Federer, slow motion. Mm -hmm. You pay attention to what happens when you look at his eye 
and where it goes when he's hitting a stroke. You know, he's like, you know, a dancing tennis player, and he's amazing at executing shots accurately. But if you look at what he's doing, he never looks at where he wants to hit the ball. He only ever looks at the ball as it's coming to him. Hmm. And so a lot of times when you take your eye off the goal, and, you, and when you take your eye off the goal but put it on, on, in the moment, when, mm -hmm. when in that moment, for example, when I was when I was running, rather than looking forward and looking back, if I was just in my full power, then and if I trusted that my brain can maintain the image of the goal, mm -hmm. the likelihood that I would have won would have been greater. So I think I think lesson number one is the more you stay grounded in yourself, the better. And lesson number two is that your brain is capable of, of holding on to images of your goals. So you practice that outside of when you're in your life and then just try to be in the moment as much as you can to give yourself you know, access to your greatest power as you're trying to reach your goal. Yeah. And so you focused on the finish line, breaking through the tape, right? As opposed to looking over your shoulder. There's actually yeah, physiology yeah, I, that shows why that works too, right? Right. Uh, and, and actually, so sort of internalizing the image of the finish line so that rather mm -hmm. than just using my brain energy to think about, you know, at that point, you don't really want to be thinking. You want to let your unconscious and your practice take over. So what you want to do is just realize that the finish line's internalized and you can give the full power to your motor energy at that point. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the other things that, that you talk about that I think is so fascinating is the, the problems of success once you get there. You mentioned, you know, CEOs feeling very lonely in their corner office, people who succeed, all of a sudden it's empty up there. It's it's lonely. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially who are listening to this, may have already experienced something like that, especially if you're, you're out of shape, you're unhealthy, you're sick or whatever. You assume that all of your problems will be solved when you get to this X on the map, when you get to this ultimate goal, when you achieve success. But it doesn't always work like that once you get there, does it? It doesn't, no, because it's at some level, you know, the human brain is wired so precariously. There's a way in which I think we feel good about success, but we're also afraid of what success will bring because with success comes increased scrutiny, it comes people being more critical of you. There's a concept known as schadenfreude, which is basically the desire to watch people fall from grace. Mm -hmm. And a lot of recent studies are showing that human beings often are wired to want that from other people when they're competitive. So when you're at the top of your game, the people who are competing with you or the people who are jealous of you will threaten that feeling of being at the top of your game. And I think a lot of people settle for mediocrity because they're afraid to face what that is. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I think that happens commonly with people like CEOs is that there's a syndrome known as the summit syndrome, which is basically when CEOs reach the height of their game, you know, they've been pressing on the gas and they're accelerating to the top and they're pressing on the gas and they're accelerating to the top. And then they press on the gas and they're like, wait a minute, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. And that that fear, that fear of of not having the power to get to the next level causes them to get really confused, mm -hmm. afraid, become disorganized. And then they start to want to destroy what's happening around them. Hmm. So rather than doing that, one of the things is to expect that that for everyone's trajectory, there often is a flat point. You know, you rise and then there's a flat point and you rise and there's a flat point. Anyone who's involved in peak performance will tell you that it's not just like one big upward 
movement. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like it's upward and then you plateau, upward you plateau. So first thing is don't freak out at the plateau. And the second thing is when the plateau is there, ask yourself, do you really need to do more of the same or to reach to your greatest? Is there something different that you have to do? Yeah. So, you know, in the, in the case of CEOs, for example, it might have been amazing managers. They might have been really good at giving people tasks to do. But when it comes to having a vision and a mission and motivating yourself with that vision and a mission, it's very different from saying, go do X, Y or Z. Yeah. And so in that case, you might think you're trying to get the job done by telling people what to do, when in fact, what you need to do is let those other people do that. Mm -hmm. And then you drive the process with your mission and your vision. And that's an example of how you can create acceleration through a different process rather than doing more of the same. Right. So one of the problems is that people don't anticipate that leveling off, that plateau in, in no matter what it is. And a lot of times it's tempting to stop doing what got you there, right? Once, right. <laughs> What is that all about and what can we do to, to improve that within our own habits? So I think the first thing is to really, well, it's a, a couple of different things. I think that studies are increasingly showing that when you say things like, I have a goal, people often concentrate on the goal, right? But if you think about it, you know, in terms of, sort of most companies, only 30% of strategies are successfully executed. Hmm. And of those that are most are too slow. And this has been shown in a series of studies, of case studies by Jocelyn Davis and colleagues in a mm -hmm. book called Strategic Speed. And so if we know that this is happening, these are like very smart people who are executing on a strategy that sounds really simple, that has a stepwise process, but it's, something's not happening. One of the things that brain science teaches us is that goals are not what we think they are. And there are a couple of different things that I think I can point out here. Mm -hmm. One is there's a theory called selfish goal theory, which is essentially that a goal, so let's say you have a certain financial target of X, that is represented in your brain, represented in your brain as a neural circuit. But with that same goal is I might need to get engaged. I might need to figure out how to send my kids to college. I really need a break. I really need to start working out. There's like a ton of different goals competing with each other. Mm -hmm. and the selfish goal theory basically states that because goals are neural circuits, they don't really care about your overall well-being. They just care about getting to the finish line first. Right. So whichever goal you feed is the one that you're gonna, that's going to get to the finish line first. So one of the things we want to think about when we're not reaching our goals is, or when we're not doing something, is to say, am I just not feeding my, you know, like am I overfeeding one goal mm -hmm. and not feeding the other goal? And how do I address this unconsciously? Yeah. The second thing is that I think a lot of people, I mean, I guess there, there's a lot to say about this. But the, the second thing is that when it comes to motivation to, to reach your goal, because you, you're somehow, as you said, pulling back or you're not doing what you used to be doing. What studies now show is that it's not a question of carrot or stick. It's not like I'm, I'm going to motivate myself by telling myself I've got to get to this goal. and I've got, It doesn't really do it for the brain. In order to, you know, to work smarter and not just harder, you actually have to ask yourself three fundamental questions. One is, what is the value of this goal to me for mm -hmm. real? Mm -hmm. Like, what do I actually care about? And I think I myself have found myself from time to time doing things that I'm like, wait a minute, like, I, I don't even care about this. Like, why am I doing this? <laughs> so it needs to be emotionally relevant, right? Not, not someone else's goal, but one that you truly care about. Exactly. And then, and, and then the second question you want to ask yourself is, you know, how truthful am I being 
about the skull. Because a lot of times people will tell you, hey, do that, you know, that that's great. It'll and you listen to people and you do stuff, but you're not doing something that's true, it's something that feels real to you. So not just relevant for you, but real. And the third is to ask yourself, are there any conflicts that you have that could be holding you back? Because when you resolve those three questions, motivation works much more fluently in the brain. Mm -hmm. The third thing I really, I think it's something that I've seen a lot in my practice, and it's something that I would, I would really recommend that people think about, is that when you say, I want to reach my goal, the thing that matters is not just the goal, it's also the I part. Mm -hmm. Who are you to yourself? Mm -hmm. And the brain's long-term memory system, the, the hippocampus, has images of ourselves that's stored in it. You know, like when you were fatter, like when you were not successful, like when you were successful. There are all these different images that come together in the gallery of your mind. Mm -hmm. And so the image that is most prominent in the gallery will often influence whether you get to that goal or not. And so one of the things I tell, an exercise that I sometimes walk people through is, is what I call recurating the museum of your mind. Hmm. If you go into the pictures of your mind and you say, what are the three dominant pictures of myself that are probably influencing how I get to my goal? Mm -hmm. Which ones do I need to throw out? And which ones do I need to reframe and put in priority position? Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, a really good thing because if people could even now, as they're listening to this, take out a piece of paper and a pen and write down you know, what do I actually think of myself? And, you know, I'm, and just be brutally honest with yourself. Like, what are the three images? Like, it could be anything. It could be the breakup that was heart, heartbreaking, mm -hmm. that made you really feel like a loser, that you thought you got over, but something in you made you feel like, you know, I, I just, I'm not sure if I can make it in that domain in life, or the promotion that you didn't get, or the fact that when you were around your group of friends recently, you realized that everybody else was being so successful, and you felt less than, Mm -hmm. If you carry the picture of less than in your brain, then that's who's going to be executing on the goal. And so when your memory pulls up the less than version of yourself, it's unfair to expect that that version is going to be able to get you to your goal. Yeah. So it, and, and this all sounds sort of just metaphorical, but it, it's actually there's a lot of data to suggest that the memories that we store in our brains really do determine the extent to which we can be integrated enough to have the most powerful identity possible that's real for mm -hmm. who we are to take us to our goals. Now, if you talk about this in, in the true literal visceral sense, I know an example that happens uh, very often is people especially will uh, gain a bunch of weight. Then they'll find out that there is a way to turn that around. You, you can eat differently. You can exercise differently. You can change your life or what have you, you can lose a colossal amount of weight. And one thing that I see very often is people will lose 80, 100 plus pounds. And people might be telling them when they see them, wow, you look great. You look so different. They'll be like, I feel the same. I still feel the same. And then over the course of time, you know, the weight comes back on. That happens 95% of the time, right? right? What is something that you can do when you look in the mirror, perhaps, to say, okay, this, this is different. This is the new me. I want to stay here. I think a number of things. So, so firstly, I would say that in the brain, there are two kinds of intentions that, that play a role. One is called a goal intention, which is I want to lose weight, which the, it's hard for the brain to grasp. Mm -hmm. The other is called an implementation intention, which is I want to lose 30 pounds in three months mm -hmm. 
uh, and want to look like this. So your brain has a really good image of what you want. The clearer you are with your intention, the more likely it is your brain's going to carry this out. And a lot of studies now show that refined implementation intentions are much more likely to get you to your goals. All that means is spell it out, write a number, write a date, and use that as your guideline. Mm -hmm. But to get to the deeper part of your question, I think a big part of it is really speaking honestly with yourself about the different things that are in your way. So for example, I always find my people are always like, you know, you, how do you use this brain science to interact with your work? Well, in, when I use it in my work and in my brain science and in the psychology part of my life and in the corporate coaching part, I use it in a pretty literal way and I find it really helpful. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to uh, things like working out and things like what you eat, I love food and I love a lot of foods that you're not supposed to eat. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, so recently I re-engaged a trainer of mine because I just had intuitively just felt, you know what, I, I think I got the best results with him. Mm -hmm. And I think it was because there was a connection and I think he got something mm -hmm. about how I was. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is I think it can really help if, if you're working out with someone you're emotionally connected to sure. or someone you trust. Mm -hmm. I think the second thing is when I, when I sat down with him, I was like, okay, listen, you know, like I, I, I want to be in much better shape. There's, I have no doubt about that. I want to be able to walk properly and breathe. Like these are these are like my top priorities, <laughs> but but I but I also I'm not gonna just like give up my lifestyle. I'm not gonna eat like he eats like mm -hmm. white meat, like chicken the whole day mm -hmm. with salad. And right. I'm like you know I like bratwurst, I like bacon, I like so I'm like you know how am I gonna integrate all this stuff? And he's like, well, you can keep on eating like that, but if you if you you know if your diet is bratwurst, bacon, and you know, <laughs> frosting, you're, you're probably not going to be able to get to your goal. So I was like, well, you know, is it, can we talk about this in a way that doesn't feel like it's a, such a massive shift in my identity mm -hmm. that it's going to threaten everything? Like, I, there's no way I could go to my friends currently and be like, I've decided I'm on like an all salad diet. No bratwurst for me. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I don't eat bacon anymore. Like, you know, it, that's, it's the threat to me is not just the diet threat. It's also the social threat. Sure, because of course. For me, the people I'm drawn to somehow indirectly that that's related to that so part of what what i said to him was this is going to take a little longer time but i want you to know i am committed to losing weight now i want you to spar with me about what the options are because mm -hmm. i want to get real about certain changes that i can make and i think that it's it's said so often but i really think that the best feedback you can give yourself is the feedback of working out, realizing that you can actually move and breathe more effectively, that your life is coming back to you in a certain way. Mm. And that when you lose that, when you lose that extra weight, it's not just about how you look. It's not just about, you know, being healthier in theory. It's about the fact that life actually opens up to you in a different way. Yeah. And I think the more deeply you can connect with that motivation, and for different people, it's different things, right? For some people, it's the real motivation for losing weight is that they want to see their grandchildren. Sure. For some people, they just want to look hot. For some people, they're like, you know, I, I like it when I can move better, when I have greater mobility. And so I think if you can really connect most truthfully with what you want and then realize that you can tinker with this process, that mm -hmm. you, can, you can go forward, come back a little bit, say, well, you know, maybe I can, you know, cut back the amount of that I'm eating. You know, or maybe frosting is overdoing it. And, and my life's not really dependent on frosting. If I had to choose that and bratwurst, I'd probably choose bratwurst. And then it's like, well, but when are you eating the bratwurst? So this is not a conventional diet because it's not like 
I'm going to read, I'm going to pick this up immediately. Yeah. But I, I think in a lot of behavioral change, what I've seen is the initial resistance is this is going to threaten my identity. Mm. And, and I can speak to that because mm-hmm. I feel like my identity revolves around good food and people I eat good food with. But, but I think the more you can do that and the more you can talk to your friends about it, mm-hmm. the more you will realize that everybody kind of wants to live longer and everybody wants to be healthy and everybody wants to do a little bit of something to get better. So firstly, deep look at identity. Secondly, small steps. Thirdly, get the help of someone you truly trust who understands what you're saying. And the fourth thing, which I think it takes a long time to learn, is it's not going to change if you don't change anything. Yeah. Like, I think I for a long time, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to change anything. I'm just going like, to work out. I'll do a little bit more cardio. You know, and then I was like, this cardio, like for so much work, it's not doing anything to my belly. Like, yeah. there's nothing. Like, and I was like, what's going on with this cardio thing? Like, I'm killing myself. Mm-hmm. And at the end of that, I'm like, start doing anything. It's like, well, because your diet is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there is a, a hard reality to this, which is that you have to change something. Mm-hmm. And I think choose the things that are easiest to change first. And then gradually, you'll get to a point where there are things that you might not have been willing to change initially that you will eventually change. So it's not rocket science from my perspective, but I think it is a deep engagement with yeah. the real issue of why it is you want to lose weight and with the real issue of how you're going to do it on your own terms mm-hmm. with the provisor that something's got to change. You just have to figure out what's the best change for you. Yeah, now along those lines, you often also will see people you know, have great success. They look tons better. You see them, you know, say it's a friend or a family member or whatever, And they really look the best ever. And then self-sabotage kicks in and then they go back to whatever they came from, right? What what is that agent of self-sabotage? Can you help explain it from the perspective of the brain? Why does that happen so commonly to so many of us? Well, self-sabotage is a real big issue. It's, it's, it's It's something that I think we all need to take a look at for a couple of different reasons. You know, firstly, the way you phrase your goals matter. So there's been an extensive body of research that shows if you tell yourself not to do something, your, your brain under under conditions of stress will do the exact opposite. Like, for example, I was with my trainer and I, I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to write down what I eat this week. And I know what I'm not going to eat. It was like the worst diet week of my entire, like the entire year. Because yeah. I kept on being like, I'm not going to eat that. I'm not going to eat it. And then I was like, I ah, forget it. I'm going to eat that. Yeah. And so the first thing is, if you frame things in the negative, your brain will rebound and you will actually do the opposite of what you want under stress. So mm-hmm. pay, and rather than saying, I will not eat potatoes, what you'll say is, I will eat two helpings of meat or I will have X, X amount of potatoes if you want that mm-hmm. rather than I will not. So that's the first thing. The second thing is a concept known as repetition compulsion, which is basically, I think a lot of people, so a bunch of psychologists were standing around sort of historically. You can imagine how sort of amusing it looked when they were like watching kids and how they were behaving in a cot. And they were like, this is like a weird behavior. Like no one's ever thought about this, but the child has a toy, which is presumably something that it wants. Mm -hmm. And you say, now the child throws the toy out. Already that's a strange behavior because you're like, why would you throw out something that you want? And I'm going to ask people, remember, this is something, this is a pattern that sort of extends into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Then the second thing the child does is cries about it. Then the psychologists are like, what's going on here? Yeah. You threw the toy out. Now you're crying about it. And then the mother brings the toy back. 
And then the child gets really happy about it. And then the mother turns around and the child throws the toy out again. So they're like, okay, this, none of this behavior makes sense. I don't understand. It's your toy. You threw it out. Then you cried about it. Then you got it back. You were happy and you threw it out again. And one of the more disturbing realizations about this was that as adults, we tend to fall into that same pattern mm -hmm. because the human brain is wired by default to gain mastery over disappointment rather than to seek fulfillment. So a lot of times we want to be really good at the fact that life sucks. We're like, mm -hmm. life sucks and I want to be like the best survivor in the world <laughs> rather than someone who thrives. And so you've got to shift your brain's flashlight from survival behaviors into thriving behaviors. Mm -hmm. You have to ask yourself, how do I grow in the way that I want to grow rather than deal with the difficulties that life's throwing at me? Because you can get addicted to dealing with difficulties. Mm -hmm. You can become really good at it. Like you see a lot of people who are amazing. They're very resilient, but they don't go anywhere mm -hmm. in their lives. And, and that's because they're not setting thriving goals. So I think my recommendation there would be to set thriving goals and to recognize that life is not just about mastering disappointment. It's also about seeking fulfillment. Yeah. Now, fulfillment is an interesting one because, you know, you talk about if, if you want to be truly healthy or whatever and you're eating salad and chicken every day, that doesn't sound very fulfilling. It sounds like that's at odds with the way that you actually want to live your life. But I think it's very rare that people actually write down their goals or think about success or a fulfilling life in that way. So how do you eat your bacon and your frosting and have health at the same time? Right. Well, when you figure that out, you, you'll let me know. <laughs> I got the bacon part covered. Right. <laughs> you know, so, so I think a lot of it is really being willing to go overboard, but also being willing to come back. Hmm. And, and being willing to say, you know, like I was joking with you earlier when people asked me, you know, I used to direct the anxiety service, but how do you manage your anxiety? But, you know, sometimes I meditate, sometimes I have martinis. And right. they're like, you know, it's not traditional medical advice. So they're like, what are you talking about? But alcohol is I can bad. vouch for the, the martini part. We've enjoyed a few. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, and my whole feeling is that there are other things that matter to me. Like, I, I find it interesting. I actually geek out about when I'm drunk. Mm -hmm. You know, there's all there's so much stuff that you discover about yourself. I think anyone who's been drunk knows that feeling of shame and guilt when you're, when you're, when you're over the edge that you want to be. Mm -hmm. And the next day, mm -hmm. and if you're surrounded, if you surround yourself by a group of loving people, you will begin to understand things about your own consciousness. As long as you don't just keep on doing that every day, yeah. and as long as you understand when you want to be moderate and when you don't want to be moderate, because mm -hmm. life is a as a constant state of moderation, I think would put me out to sleep. I wouldn't be able to live like that, you right. know. So I like to work hard. I like to play hard, but I I really do like both, mm -hmm. and I mess up all the time. Sometimes. I work too hard. Sometimes I play too hard. And so I think through all my years of practice, the most successful people have realized that they've engaged life passionately, but that they do mess up and that it is correctable. And the most important thing, and I do think you've, you've actually mastered the, the, the whole bacon thing, is that you can change your brain and you can change the way you make decisions about what you eat. Right? I mean, you're, you're living proof of that. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would say that my ability to restrain certain types of, of food is is improving in a different way than previous ways that I've tried. I think in the past, I've been like, no, that's just not good. Like, you can't have that. Mm -hmm. And I think now what I feel is, you know, there, there are times when I'm, I, I have an internal sense of, like, what feels like, what feels like a little bit too much and mm -hmm. what feels like it's okay. 
And as I said, at times I am excessive, but at other times I'll pull back. And, and I think what I'm saying about this is that conventional advice makes it sound all very clear and simple. Do yeah. that, do this, and life will turn out perfectly the way you want it to. Mm -hmm. My experience has been that that does work for some very talented few who have that degree of control over their brains. Mm -hmm. What I feel is that you can always have some kind of control over your brain if you, if you engage yourself honestly and if you surround yourself with loving people who understand mm -hmm. that if you mess up or if you do something, that there's a way in which people can gently redirect each other. I think having a supportive community is particularly important. And, you know, having, you know, a trainer or a dietitian or, or someone like you to turn to and say, hey, Abel, like, you know, how do I eat as much bacon as I want and mm -hmm. not get fat? Or how do I eat the kind of diet? You know, like, like I think when you trust someone's intrinsic sensibility about something, it matters a lot. Yeah. Now, the, the drinking part, you mentioned something that a lot of people ask about which is how can I drink and live this way or whatever. And you brought up a point. One of the reasons that, that I drink, I think partially is because I was paid in booze for so long as a musician and I realized it's power to change your brain, to change the way that your brain operates for a brief period of time such that maybe you can express yourself in a different way. It kind of recalibrates the way that you're operating. I, I find that especially being you know the overachiever type A, as I'm sure you are as well, sometimes you get really sick of yourself. Sometimes it's annoying yeah. to practice so much moderation, to, to be so yeah. well-behaved, to achieve so much or whatever. You just want to turn that down a little bit. What is it about uh, uh, drinking or, or other things that can kind of interrupt that pattern that can actually help heal or help your overall lifestyle so that you are living a fulfilling life? Well, so firstly, I think from a database perspective, I think there's a decent amount of evidence to show that a certain amount of red wine, a certain amount of beer can be cardioprotective. So mm -hmm. that, I think that in itself can be helpful. I think from a brain perspective, I think sometimes we're so tightly wound up that the frontal cortex is exerting too much control right. over our lives. And, and as a result of that, the opposite of what we want is happening. Mm -hmm. And I think that alcohol can create a state of disinhibition that can help you let go so your creative juices start flowing and you start feeling a bit more in touch with parts of yourself that you haven't been in touch with before. Or it's just simply a, a way of relaxing and also socializing. I, I think, as I said earlier, a huge part of this is identity and, and I think self-acceptance. And I think that when alcohol promotes that, then it's working really well. Mm -hmm. I think when it starts to negate that, then right. you need to sort of start to think about, well, you know, am I am I using this against myself or am I using it for myself? And that I think is just a simple question you ask yourself. Is this working for me or against me? And how can I make this work for me? Right. But I think the, the basic answer to what you're saying is that I, I think the disinhibition does allow for the creative juices to flow. It deactivates the frontal cortex. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you can actually feel more relaxed and you can feel more creative uh, because you, all these different connections are happening. So I think what you're saying is meditate during the week martinis on the weekends is that right <laughs> yeah well i think you have to figure out the pattern that works for you I, i'm uh, in general uh, i'm also a musician so i sort of share a lot i think the fact that we we like music and neuroscience mm -hmm. and bacon puts us in a particular category i think it's a patterned existence is not for me i think what i prefer is to be goal oriented mm -hmm. and to make sure that i get stuff done that needs to be done and if i start lagging then I change my lifestyle because the goals matter to me. And if I'm on target, then it gives me permission to play and I can play even more. Mm -hmm. I love it. 
So we're just about out of time, but I know you're working on a lot of different things recently. You have a number of, of great books. Would you mind telling people who are listening where they can find you and what you're working on next? Sure. So my, my website is uh, com. It's D-R-S-R-I-N-I-P-I-L-L-A-Y.com. Uh, and as I told you, I'm rebranding, so my whole look is likely to, my, the way I present myself is likely to change. Mm-hmm. But I think the message would be the same. I, in terms of things that I would love people to engage with, I, you know, I have a, a small ebook called Total Brain Makeover that gives people just a 10-minute brain exercise every week to change one thing in your life. And then I have a more extensive package, if that's something that sounds like it's interesting, called the Untapped Power of You. And I think you have the link mm-hmm. of that on the blog that I think if people really want to change their brains and they're really committed to doing something, I think that that's a, a pretty intensive guide and, on how to go about doing that. Awesome. So if you're looking for that, go to fatburningman.com and just type in Dr. Srini Pillay into the search bar. Dr. Srini, thank you so much for coming. What a pleasure. Yeah, thank you so much, Abel. It's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Fat Burning Man. If you liked it, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, the podcast app, or wherever else you might be listening to or watching this show. Got a second? Please leave me a quick review on iTunes. I always love hearing from you, and if you think someone else might like and benefit from this free show, please take a second to share it with a friend or with a family member. You can get in touch with me on Twitter at FatBurnMan and Facebook by typing in Abel James or FatBurningMan. Drop me a line anytime. Did you know that I've recorded over 150 episodes of Fat Burning Man, winning four awards in independent media and hitting number one in more than eight countries? And here's some more good news. You can download and listen to every single episode for free. All you have to do is type in fatburningman.com I'll give you a second to type it in fatburningman.com and you'll get all the show notes in video and audio versions for all the past episodes of Fat Burning Man better yet enter your best email at fatburningman.com sign up for my newsletter and I'll even send you a quick start guide to start burning fat right now and a few of our ridiculously tasty recipes as a special thanks for signing up Once again, just go to fatburningman.com right now. Enter your best email to get your free fat burning download straight to your inbox and make sure that you never miss a show again. This is Abel James signing off. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week.